Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. Joining us now is Blair Hall. Many of you may remember, know him currently. Uh, during his time here, he was the deputy chief of mission at the U.S. Embassy uh, under the Kirk Wagger ambassador regime. Uh, he has uh, re- since retired after some 30 years in the foreign service in the U.S., now living back in Singapore, senior advisor for Wagger Global Associates. Blair, welcome to Weekend Mornings. Glad to have you with us today. Thanks, Glenn. Good to see you on this wet morning. Yeah, it is certainly is a wet morning. Tell us, Blair, as you are looking at this ongoing saga in the U.S., what comes to mind as to how this election has shaped up for you? It's a bit like uh, one of those uh, rural railroad crossings in the U.S., right? The, the, the slow-moving tra- freight train is going by, and we just want it to be done. <laughs> There's no end in sight, and you have no choice but to look, right? So, so I, you know, it, it's a little awkward to, to look at it now ahead of when the, when the Joe Biden is going to be speaking, and with four critical states still up in the air. I, I think we can say that it looks like Biden is in a good position to win, uh, but I think we can also say that the polls didn't get it exactly right. To some degree, they did. I mean, in, in most cases, almost every poll had Biden up in the national polls. They had him closer in the, the state polls. Uh, and that's the, the way it came out. Uh, 538.com, a respected organization, mm-hmm. had uh, the, the, the Biden an 89% chance. So, I mean, in, in that sense, it looks like the polls were okay. And Biden has gotten more votes than any presidential candidate ever, about 74 million. But Donald Trump has the second most number. So, <laughs> yeah, what does that say? <laughs> right. So, you know, Biden, you know, it has, we haven't seen a collapse, uh, but I think the polls did miss the uh, support that has come out uh, for President Trump. I think that you know, mm-hmm. he, he really did turn out his base of support. And make no, no mistake, this was not a, uh, a swing election where people changed their minds. Um, the, the people who supported Trump still support Trump. The people who support the Democrats still support the Democrats. Trump got 8 million more votes than he did in 2016. Mm. But, but Biden got a little more than 8 million votes than Hillary did. So it was all about uh, turning, out, turning out the base. Oh, Blair, uh, you and, make... and that's what we're seeing come through. I was going to say, Blair, it's Neil Humphreys here. You make such a great point here. It's something I've been talking about all week. In the UK, this is often known as the, the Tory factor or the Tory conundrum, meaning that people lie when pollsters talk to them. People lie. When they know date down they're going to vote for someone who's a, a populist candidate but not a universally popular candidate, whether it was Margaret Thatcher in the 1980s or the Conservative Party moving forward in the UK, they lie and the polls were often wrong. Similarly, it's looking increasingly clear that people who voted for Trump didn't say they were going to vote for Trump when they were polled. So, And this has happened again. It happened to a lesser extent in 2016, and it's happened in many elections in the West in the past. Do you see this, that maybe the way poll- pollsters ask questions maybe or survey people needs to be changed? There needs to be some sort of uh, looking, tweaking of the system to see why pollsters no longer get it so wrong? Yeah, you, you raise a really good point. And I think that the pollsters are going to have to have an, an agonizing reappraisal of their methods going forward. In 2016, 
uh, they, they generally acknowledge that they undercounted the turnout for Trump, especially among uh, white males. So most pollsters said, oh, well, we've adjusted our algorithms. We've uh, you know, l- looked at our models and we've taken that into account. Clearly, they didn't. Now, mm. now there's something that they call the Bradley effect. This goes to uh, the former mayor of Los Angeles, Tom Bradley, in the late 80s, very popular mayor, uh, ran for governor of California. And the polls showed him ahead. Um, And yet he lost. Uh, And so the the Bradley effect seems to be that many people weren't may not in California, may not at the time have been ready to vote for an African-American candidate. But they didn't want to say that. They didn't want to be seen as socially, you know, to express socially undesirable views. Mm. So in, in that case, um, you know, some people may not have wanted to express their support for Trump. Uh, this is what was known uh, in 2016 as the, the, Trump, the shy Trump voter. I, I don't think they had so many shy Trump voters this time. Four years, people knew who he was. They liked him or they didn't like him. But I think there may have been hidden Trump voters. Uh, in other words, they're, they're people who just think these pollsters are part of the fake media. They're out to get the president. The kind of things that, that the president said the other day, uh, that, that it was intentional misleading. So they hung up on the pollsters. They didn't answer. You know, they, they just weren't seen by the, by, by the uh, survey opinions. Uh, and so, and the models clearly didn't correct enough for that. I think it's also hard in this uh, era of social media, uh, where, where you know you can judge how many uh, TV ads and how much money is being spent. But some of these things on different uh, social media channels, on Facebook pages, different affinity groups, it's harder to monitor and it's harder to uh, poll for that kind of populist swing because th- th- this is an, an emotional uh, reaction it you know they talked a lot about the issues and maybe in a moment talk about those issues but really it, it did come down to a referendum on trump a mm. lot of people liked trump and showed up at the polls a lot of people really wanted him to go away and showed up at the polls and yeah so Blair, it's if I very just... hard to get that polling but i think the polls definitely you know, no, I, I don't think they can be proud of their predictions. Yeah, if I can just uh, break in, talking with Blair Hall, the uh, senior advisor, Wagger Global Advisors, also former, former deputy chief of mission at the U.S. Embassy here in Singapore. Of course, you were the DCM in other places as well and, and served for over 30 years in the State Department as a foreign service officer. And when you look at uh, when you look at what, how this election and maybe even 2016, of, of course, uh, Gore and Bush, what has this what has this taught our electorate? It's almost been like a real time civics lesson for many people in an area in an era when civics is frankly not taught very much anymore in schools in the U.S. Uh, but it has really shown people uh, varying degrees of success how our system actually works. Are, is this a good thing or are we still kind of behind the curve and, and actually having people understand how the system works? Well, I, I think it is uh, useful. I mean, citizens and uh, people around the world, it's useful to know how the American citizen, uh, the American electoral system works. It is 
quite uh, unique and, and rather peculiar in, in its contours. So it's important for people to understand that. I'm not sure this is exactly the, the best classroom in which to learn <laughs> when, when, when there's so much pressure and so much at stake. It's yeah. very hard uh, for people who have emotional investment in the outcome to take a step back and think about uh, what this means. I mean, I, I think that a couple of the lessons we can see is that the U.S. remains a very divided uh, country. That that um, the you know as you look at the the, the maps uh, up on the, uh, the television screens, you see it, it's almost like parentheses. The East Coast and the West Coast blue kind of encircling the red center, and it's evenly balanced. So uh, the the idea that you know uh, you know Trump is going to to you know remake American polity. It, that's not happening, uh, even with the, 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 the peculiarities of the uh, electoral college. But the same thing, this uh, sense uh, that some progressives were saying that, you know, the, the uh, demographic uh, evolution of the U.S. means uh, an inevitable shift to a, uh, a, a, a more uh, liberal kind of uh, consensus in the U.S., that may not be quite right either. I mean, one of the striking things is that President uh, Trump received more votes yeah. from uh, minority communities, from yeah. uh, African-Americans, yeah. from uh, Latinos, uh, cr- crucially so in Florida and Texas, than any president, any Republican candidate since 1960. And, of course, in 1960, the Republican Party was still, in fact, not just in name, the party of Lincoln. You know, it, 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 and so this switch and Trump coming back shows that there's something else going on there. It's a more complicated uh, picture. And uh, it, in, in some ways, it does give me hope that we will be able to, to make some, I, I don't want to be uh, uh, Pollyannish, but some reasonable steps to bridge uh, some of these gaps. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, there, Blair. Just follow up on, on that point, though, because you mentioned there correctly, Trump has got almost 70 million votes when it's when they're all co- counted. It will probably be slightly more than that. This hasn't really been a repudiation of Trumpism, has it? In the way that maybe some, as you say, polyanotypes or idealists might have expected, it hasn't been a repudiation of Trumpism. Um, he increased his vote amongst the working classes. He increased his vote in Florida and Texas, as you mentioned, as well as other states. He even increased his vote against minorities, particularly Latinos in Florida, as you mentioned. I just wanted to read you a quote here that I, I read online from an uh, Eddie Gloud, a professor at Princeton University and an author of Democracy in Black. And he said, the so-called moral outrage around Trump's presidency did not produce any substantive shift in his Republican support. In fact, he expanded his base among white voters. Trump continues to flourish in the intersection of greed, selfishness and racism. What are your thoughts on that and this idea that Trumpism, no matter how uncomfortable it may make some people feel, it hasn't really been repudiated at this election? It's a really interesting question, Neil, and and I think that it points to uh, the uh, polarization uh, of the American public, that really, you know, these two spheres, you know, don't really intersect that, that um, you know, many uh, people on the left side of the spectrum are, are, are astounded. You know, how can people vote for this guy? 
you know, the, the same way that uh, Professor Gloud just said. I mean, it, it's really incomprehensible. And on the other hand, uh, I, I think that, that people who get their information, who take their guidance, you know, from a completely separate stream, you know, dismiss this. You know, it's fake news. You know, we know what's really happening. We hear Trump, but we don't really think that, you know, he means what he says. So, you know, th- th- there really is uh, just this split in, in the way it looks. So I mean, in, in, in my view, I think this points to the need to start to uh, look uh, in, in the future about what we can agree on and try mm-hmm. to find ways to, to move forward. Uh, and, and I don't think that's, uh, I mean, I, I think we have to be modest, but I don't think that's a, a completely unrealistic expectation. Uh, Americans, uh, you know, you know, and, and Joe Biden, you know, has ran in the primaries, ran in the general election as a compromiser. In fact, he took a lot of heat in the Democratic primaries for that. He ran as someone who can heal the wounds uh, in the general election. He talks about being, all, you know, uh, uh, a president for all Americans. So let's put him to the test mm-hmm. and let's see where. Uh, we can reach out. You know, I, I think things like uh, uh, infrastructure uh, programs, uh, things to boost child care, health care. You know, th- these things really came out in stark relief uh, in in the U.S. during the pandemic and will be popular. Mm. So, so th- there is a fundamental divide in uh, between Republicans and Democrats on the role of the government uh, in the economy, and this is going to have to be sorted out. And clearly, the fact that the uh, the uh, re- the Republicans are going to hold uh, control of the Senate is going to be a check on the uh, more uh, ambitious progressive goals of of the Democratic Party. But still, there 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 may be opportunities to uh, find a way to to work together. And I think we have to. Hold on to, to that possibility. Absolutely. Blair, during your 35 years in, in foreign service, you served in Tokyo three times, Okinawa, of course, here, New Delhi, in addition to Copenhagen and Washington. Uh, as you look, every time one of these elections comes along, um, what 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 for this election do you think the the tone of the campaign and the outcome that we're seeing right now, what does it say to business leaders and political leaders in Asia um, about what's going on in the U.S. I mean, we 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 think in terms of you know the four thousand plus companies in Singapore-based American companies and, and others. What messages should people be taking away from this uh, slightly uh, messy process? But depending on who who wins, what what is that going to mean for this region? Yeah, I mean, I I think you you probably have seen all these gifts and memes and things that I I've seen Glenn of the horse races and you know all that. I mean, it 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 really is not presenting the best face uh, of America to the world, and I think it's very you know can be very difficult for people to understand uh, what's going on. Uh, I, I I have always said uh, that the uh, what Americans agree on, particularly in uh, the foreign affairs uh, sphere. Uh, it, it is much greater than what uh, they disagree on. And, you know, I think that still holds, although it's not, you know, quite the, the, the same uh, robustness uh, uh, as it was uh, before. But you still, uh, you know, and I think we can take that, you know, that except for the bickering over who's going to be tougher on China, foreign affairs really didn't come up 
very much in, in the debates, in the campaign. It's really not what was a, 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 at stake in, in this election. So I, I, I expect that, um, you know, we, we will see, uh, you know, Joe Biden, uh, if, if uh, he is elected, uh, look out to, to be to try to repair some of the uh, frayed uh, alliances mm. to be a more institutionalized uh, uh, in in his approach uh, to, to, to world affairs and not not so um, working from the gut as uh, the president like like to say. Uh, but you know, on, on a lot of the big things, I mean, I, I don't think uh, it, it, we should think that uh, that that uh, Biden policy uh, will simply snap back or default and be the same as Obama policy. Mm. That I think there's a recognition that the world has changed, that U.S. Uh, understanding of things like uh, trade, uh, you know, ha- has changed. Uh, and so I-, I think that there will be continuity, although I, I do think that Biden will move towards a more multilateral uh, alliance-based mm. uh, approach. Uh, to international affairs. And a final one for me, Blair, uh, maybe a slightly more abstract one. There are issues here bigger than America. Climate change, deforestation, global warming, melting ice caps. We have issues beyond all of our borders that we need to think about. The next administration, Trump, Biden, are you hopeful? Oh, well, I am. I mean, uh, uh, pre- pre- the candidate, uh, Biden, uh, has stated repeatedly that one of his first acts will be to rejoin the Paris Accord. In, in large measure, that's symbolic. But he's also talking about, uh, you know, infrastructure and his, his build back better. And he's linked that explicitly with clean energy, with uh, uh, energy uh, savings, with kind of job creation, but also things that will uh, reduce greenhouse gases. Uh, the the argument, uh, you, you know, I think it's when, when you see the uh, the intensity of the hurricanes on one hand mm. and the uh, the widespread uh, forest fires on the other, it's hard to to uh, argue that climate isn't changing. I, I think that Americans recognize that. The question is what to do about it. Mm. So, are we talking about better forestry management? You know, raking the, uh, the the forest floors is kind of a simplistic way. But, you know, I think there are things that Americans can agree on and can do to, to uh, help uh, reduce greenhouse gas emissions and mitigate uh, against the, the worst of it. And I think that one of the things we'll see is the U.S. will again be in the arena because without the U.S. as part it gives no incentive to other emitters, China, India, uh, others, to, to, to play the game. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know, with the U.S. has to be part of the solution. And, and I think that there is a, a enough sensible middle ground there to uh, to put the U.S. back in that leadership position. Absolutely. Uh, Blair Hall, thank you so much. Uh, Blair, the senior advisor at Wagger Global Advisors, the former deputy chief of mission at the U.S. Embassy in Singapore, also served in, in Tokyo and Copenhagen and New Delhi, all over the place. We really appreciate your unique uh, singular view of, of what's happening, Blair. Thanks, guys. Great talking to you. Yeah.